Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, you guys, I am so, so, so excited because I have with me a guest that was literally love at first double tap. And you guys know when you're going through what I call the Instagram funnel of thirst, where you're like, oh, I see that you like this. I'm going to like this. And now I'm going to look at this person's page. And now I'm going to go back and look through all their photos from like 2014. And then I'm going to click through and see one more, you know you know, you know how it is. And so this is what happened to me. And this is how I got my guest today. I have a good friend who was shouting out one of her girlfriends. And I went through and I was like, oh my God, this is love at first double tap. Like everything about this Instagram is so me. And so now I'm going to stop talking and introduce the founder of Beans and Bars. Welcome to Brown Girls Rising. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh God, shout out to African Butterfly for the connection, right? Yes. Yes, Miss Patrice. And by the way, Patrice works for Brookfield. She is their uh, West Coast marketing director. Yes. And this is a Brookfield property that my office is in where we're recording today. And she's partly the reason why I have this office. So we are full circle. Yes. Awesomeness. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Obviously a little nervous, but I'll I'll thug it out. I'm good. We're I love good. that. Okay. So tell our audience who you are. Tell us about Beans and Bars and what it is. Sure, so my name is Ashley Lena. I'm originally from Compton, California. Grew up in the suburbs and then came back to Compton, so I'm actually kind of full circle. Beans and Bars is, is a, it's a hip hop coffee lounge. So, with that being said, I think coffee shops, donut shops, local bars should be more reflective of the neighborhood that they yes. serve, right? So if I go to the other big brand, right? If Starbucks I go there, or- thank you. If I go there, if I go to one in Compton, if I go to one in Beverly Hills, if I go to one in like Budapest, they're all the same. They're kind of cookie cutter, the same. Beans and bars is just kind of more, more central to that neighborhood. I'm about hip hop. I decided to marry two things that I'm most passionate about, which is coffee and hip hop. It allows me to take a stance and social issues. I could voice that on that platform because, you know, hip hop, as we all know, can be very political. Yep. And and it just kind of like was a given. I mean, I'm not creating like the cure for cancer here. I mean, it's just coffee and music. There's always been a marriage between the two. And why not have a marriage between the music I love most and coffee? I don't want to always listen to, I mean, no shade to John Mayer or, you know, all the coffee shop music. I don't want to always hear that. I want to come in and I say, call it slit your wrist depressing. Man. Like I had a breakup and now I'm going to listen to Coldplay until I want to cut myself. Right. I don't want to do that. I want to sometimes come in like, baby, baby, you know, just bump and come in. So that's the environment that I'm trying to create when I do Beans and Bars. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. One, because I love coffee. Two, because I love 90s hip hop. And for all of our listeners that have seen my personal Instagram, you know that every single photo that I post has to have a hip hop lyric (laughs) caption. And I'm particular to early 90s hip hop, 90s, 2000. And similarly to you, like I grew up in the neighborhood. I'm from 
Paramount, North Long Beach, Compton. So for me, things like that were, they were part of us. Like I remember when uh, Straight Outta Compton came out, uh-huh. like there was a reason it was such a big deal to us because we lived through that. Like sure. the riots, I remember the riots. Oh like gosh. back then the 105 freeway wasn't mm-hmm. built. And I remember my dad worked in El Segundo mm-hmm. and he used to have to come home through Rosecrans yes. Boulevard. I remember my mom sitting on the front porch during the riots waiting for him to get home because he had to go through Compton to do that. Yes. And like... The Korean shop owners with their AKs yes. on top of the Compton Indoor. My, yeah. my belly button piercing that I got without permission from my mother, <laughs> I got at the Compton just, Indoor. Yes. Things like that where it's just so much part of our part of our culture. And even like we grew up going to mass, going to church in Linwood. Sure. My parents got married in that church. So just being part of that community. I loved that you're I love that you're there. I love what you're doing. And I love that it's almost like, have you been to Orchateria in Paramount? I have not. Okay. So Paramount equivalent, uh, some friends that I went to high school with mm-hmm. started this coffee shop called Orchateria. And it's all like horchata-based lattes and conchas, which is like a, like a sweet bread, right? Sure. And it's got this coffee fusion, but yes. it's very much because Param- I always say about Paramount, it's 99% Mexican and related. Yes. Everybody you know is your cousin somehow, right? So I love that you're doing this for Compton, especially because when I think of like Compton, I think of hip hop, I think of Dre, I think of the yes. game, I think of like the best names in the game and talk about being political. Compton is that place and it doesn't get enough credit for that. It absolutely doesn't. I totally agree with you. I mean, it's like a Kendrick lyric. He's like, I don't do it for the gram. I do it for Compton. I mean, I sometimes feel like when my parents moved us out, so my parents moved us out in 89 and they moved us out because I have two older brothers and gangs were like popping. And I remember that. You remember that, right? I was part of that, yeah. So like you said, like you live it. And so like my brothers, like one of my brothers was like a surfer. The other one, like played the trumpet he wore like slacks to school every day like slack man is what we call him and so you know that's a good name (laughs) slack man so they just weren't into like gangs and although like my family was very cool like I like to say my family is like Compton royalty like my Mm. everyone knows like my dad or my mom and they were very cool and we can relate and we, we get along with them we just weren't into that type of stuff so it was like a balancing act for my parents okay so we're gonna move you to the suburbs but two weekends of the month you're going to be in Compton with your family because we don't want you to ever lose your your culture in that and that was very important to my parents it was very important to be mindful of who you are because I mean living out there I was slapped with the culture shock pretty quickly I remember third grade I remember like this kid and it was like I had just came there and he was like it was Halloween he was like um his name was Jacob and he was like hey Ashley what were your parents for Halloween and I was like I don't know he was like they went to the party naked because they were chocolate bars and I was like, <gasps> I was like okay I'm like what little kid came up with this okay so this is what we on now like okay and I didn't actually even grasp it at the moment and I remember coming home and my parents having like that talk like okay so just so we're clear this is who you are and this is who you are and there's a difference in everyone but just never lose focus of who you are, your family, your ties to your community, that is very, very important. And it's kind of held true throughout the years. I remember a time being very, like going through a selfish phase that I think sometimes most young women go through and kind of sometimes straying away from me as the core of me and kind of getting into like that Hollywood scene and like trying to hang, and it's like, you know, this this man ain't cool. This ain't me. I yeah. don't I don't need to do that. So now I'm back to the root of who I am in the culture, and it's important. I love that. And you've married two of my favorite things together, and they're stunningly beautiful. Aww, do you, you do your illustrations? Okay. Do you, I mean, they are like I looked at those and I was like, 
okay, this is my life. I, I love this. Yes. I have a dope, dope artist who's another brown girl. She's a Latina. Nice. And she does my artwork. We collaborate. And I love working with her because I can be very specific with her. And I think that she does excellent work in her own right. But at the same time, like if she gives me something that I didn't care for too much, I can say, hey, Nance, I need you to go back and like kind of tweak this. Like, yeah. And she did it and then she like nails it. And that is, that's dope to me. So we have a great partnership. Even with my logo, like I drew out and I, I have the drawing of a four-year-old, but I drew out what I wanted and she she nailed my logo exactly to specifically to what I want. So we have a great, a great thing going on. When I saw the mugs, I remember thinking, so we had, so for Worthy Women, Worthy Women's our company, we do uh, women's empowerment uh, conferences once a month in a different city across the country. So I'm producing a conference a month and then Brown Girls Rising is our podcast that elevates the stories of women that are doing incredible things in their community and their feminism and really highlighting what it means to be a woman of color today that is not black girl magic and that is not white girl Lena Dunham girls feminism, but like everything in between, <laughs> sure. right? How do we be more encompassing, both diverse and inclusive sure. of our communities and elevating the stories of our fellow woman? And so when we went to Brooklyn and we had the Brooklyn yes. Summit, the owner of this hotel, white Jewish woman, she is she is a boss in her own right. So she owns the Williamsburg Hotel. She's the developer of it. And she oversaw every detail. And I remember going in the bathroom and the bathrooms have Biggie on the wallpaper. Yeah. And it's this by this company called <laughs> sure. Brooklyn Toil. And they literally do wallpaper. And it's got like the Brooklyn Bridge. And it's got Biggie with his little crown. And I'm standing there with my Instagram going, spread love. It's the Brooklyn way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Oh, right. I was like, I told her, I was like, you're extra cool just because just of this. Just like, because of that. Who has Biggie wallpaper? I want Biggie yes. wallpaper. That lady and all her dopeness, she had, I mean, she had Biggie wallpaper. And like you said, I mean. She was an Orthodox Jew. An Orthodox Jew. And that's, to me, that's kind of like the given. What's universal is music. Yes. What's even more universal to me, and maybe I'm biased, is hip hop. Like artists make so much money overseas, you know, in other countries. And something else that's universal is coffee. People like coffee. Don't sleep on coffee. Yep. Everywhere I go, I mean, I have my fair amount of stamps in my passport and coffee is pretty like a big deal. So it it only made sense like to do what you love and make it your business. Why not? I got to ask. So I went to Bali two New Year's ago. Okay. So almost two years Lucky. now. It was an incredible trip. I highly recommend it. Yeah. And we had the pooping coffee. Okay. It's, <laughs> I, I, it's, oh, I forget the name of it now, but basically the monkeys eat it and then they shit it out and they make some coffee out of it. And it's very strong and very expensive. You are living on the edge. And I was like, <laughs> we're going to do this because we're here and we are down for experiences. But I was like, really? People want the shitting coffee? Right. Did you like it? No, it wasn't even that good. It was I, very, um, it was bitter. It was very strong. And I was like, oh, I want to put cream and sugar. Right. And people are like, no, that's ruining the essence of it. Man, forget the essence when you're eating crap. That's like, no. It went through somebody's, it was pooed. Right, right. Oh, no, no, no. I'm good on that. <laughs> so I have to ask. Sure. Your favorite coffee beverage. Okay, so believe it or not, I make bomb, bomb, bomb ass coffee. I make better iced coffee, but I do not like to personally drink iced coffee. 
Oh, um, I don't either. So I don't know if I've, well, obviously I haven't shared it, but my drinks are paying homage to hip hop artists. So I have a Cypress Hill, which is a Mexican coffee. Yes. And um, when we do private events, we add tequila to make it a true essence of a Mexican coffee. And oh that gosh. that tends to be one that people like really, really, really like. And I think it's pretty good too. I mean, all the different flavors, the clove, the cinnamon, and everything in there, the chocolate is really good. I love it. Tell us more. Tell us more about the other beverages. Um, Let's see. We have a Drizzle Drake, which is Canadian roast coffee with maple syrup. Um, I'm doing my drizzy hand, you guys. So I've often said... I have often, she is. I have often said that if I could restart my Instagram from the beginning, it would only be drizzy lyrics because yeah. there is nothing in oh. life that cannot be described yes, by a drizzy it. lyric. Oh, ladies love Drake. <sighs> Everything he needs to be LL Cool Drake because everybody like Drake is that guy. Like he is. He is. I mean, I know oh some God. people like try to like. He's overrated. Like no, 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 he's not. He's genius he's in his lane, and he's creating lane, and he's genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Drake, but yeah. So some of the drinks, those are just a couple. I mean, I could go on and on about my drinks' greatnesses, but I mean, we'll just leave it with that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So now I have to ask this: your favorite, either hip hop lyric or artist? Like, what was the one that you really were like, this is why I need to marry hip hop and coffee? I can say like the moment that hip hop really kind of changed for me. And it was kind of late. It was when my cousin was home from school. And I don't know if I'm, I'm really about to date myself, but they had the box where people would call in and you can order, you know, the videos or the music you wanted to see. Right. Okay. And she was home from school and we were watching um, the box and it was get money like um biggie and i just remember not wanting we were all getting dressed to go out and she was allowing me to go with her to one of her college parties and i was i had no business being there but and i didn't go i ended up staying home because i guess the video had just dropped and at that time ars had learned to call in and request the video and they got me and i sat there and i learned that song like lyric for lyric for lyric for lyric and to this day like that's when it kind of like shifted like okay this hip-hop thing i'm really kind of Feeling. Because when you had like Easy e like the apex of all that, I was really, I was younger and my mom was really on monitoring the content of the music I listened to. So <laughs> I laugh because we're about to hear my regulator story after this. Regulators. I want to hear Mound it. Mound up. up. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm all, I'm all ears. Go for it. <laughs> so when regulators came out, I was in kindergarten, second grade. I was in second grade. And my cousin, my cousin Jaime, was going through this major thug life phase. Uh-huh. And he had gotten the CD at Tower Records. And he gave it to me because I had been listening. I was around my older yes. cousins. And I heard them. And I really liked it. And he he told me I could keep the CD. It was my first hip-hop CD. Uh-huh. And I had this, like, old-school Sony, like, boombox. Uh-huh. And I was listening to it. My mom came in and she went, uh-uh, this is explicit. <laughs> And she went and took it from me, and I knew where she would hide my things, like the things we weren't supposed to have. Sure. And I would go, and I would sneak it out of the jewel case. Yes. And I would take it in, and I and I got some headphones, and I would listen to it. And I know every word of every song on Regulators, because yes. that was like the one CD I had that my mom thought she had taken away from me. Right. And then she used to tell me the Power 106 didn't work on my radio ah, station. She's like, cute. She's like, honey, Mika, I don't know what's wrong with your boombox, but Power 106 doesn't work. It doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't oh. go that far. And I remember you to have to turn the dial mm-hmm. to try and get it and you would watch the little red ball like go across yes i swear she must have done something to it because it never really it did never work. really did work <laughs> i could never get power 106 so i can definitely relate to the monitoring mother my mom's still mo- she's monitoring my instagram right now to this day i mean for the love of hip-hop but look at what you did i mean you persevered and you got through and 
regulators will forever be etched in the memory of your mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when it comes on, you're ready to mount up. I am so ready. <laughs> I am so ready. And I went to Poly, by the way, for right. high school. So I feel like everything like 213 crew like i remember when long beach used to be 213 and yes. then became 310 and then we became 562 and i'm like no no no, we are original 213 that's right i you know i have my phone number starts with 213 it's like i just refuse to let it go like i mean i didn't oh, have yeah. it then, but i just think it's like quintessential like los angeles like now it's los angeles like you're from the crib it's 213 i cannot acquiesce to 424 i hate seeing that it's just not la but you know whatever it's petty but i'm petty so (laughs) i don't blame you i'm the same i'm extra area code judgy when people are like nine nine five one nine oh nine i'm like oh you are out there sorry right six six one Ooh, like it's okay i'm talking but i have family out there but six six one like oh Oh, no i remember (laughs) i remember when i was single i remember this guy gave me his number and it was like we had just met, and he's like, all right, well, let's see about meeting up. And he puts his number in my phone. I'm like, hey, 18. Right. I don't go north of where the 110 <laughs> right, and the 101 meet, like, ever. 818, who lives there? That's yeah, so far. <laughs> it's very far. And they have beautiful, beautiful homes. But, I mean, I went to the Oxnard Strawberry Fest, like, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hell no. Like, this is – it was a hike. It was, like, literally, like, a distance. No, it's – too far but okay i'm downtown freeway elitist i don't even cross the 110 right like that's it i'm here i'm downtown everything i do is in a four mile radius right if i can't get there on a metro i'm not doing it and the fact that i gotta cross the 110 to go to the west side just means uh, up until they built the expo line i literally would not cross the 110 freeway that was my dividing line that was as far as i went there was nothing for me on the other side of it it's like when i was learning to drive sure and i grew up in north long beach and Uh my mom's like there's nothing north of artesia for you Uh, it's just it's you don't ever need to go north of artesia (laughs) Okay. I was like, all right, mom, there you go. There it is. (laughs) Oh, I love that. All right. So tell me more. How did you get to Beans and Bars? Like, what was your professional career path that brought you back home to doing this? Oh, I love talking about this. Great, great, great question. I used to actually own a candy store in, well, I guess it's considered like Borderwalk. Hollywood, it's on Melrose. Okay. So like the the famous Melrose Boulevard, right? Um, Or Avenue. I had a candy shop there. Candy was something I was passionate about as a kid. So my mom used to take me to, back then it was called Price Club. And I would um, buy bags of candy and I would sell it at school. And I always said I was going to own a candy store. Sure enough, when I was 25, I opened up this big, 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 big ass venture. It was way bigger than what I thought. The investment was way bigger than what I anticipated. And I just allowed myself to get off the mark. I was ambitious enough to do such a great thing so young, but I wasn't firm enough in who I was to say, no, I don't want that. No, you know, and I kind of allowed business managers and to kind of say, oh, you should do this. And I was like, okay. And I just kind of went along with it. You know, eventually it closed because it was, I mean, my rent was, it started off at 6500 a month and it ended at 6700 a month. And yeah. I mean, you could just do the math on a small ticket item like candy. It just wasn't yeah. cutting the mustard. Okay. Right. And so after that, I swore off, I will never do like another business. And everyone was like, oh, that was so awesome of you. And I'm like, you're not paying the debt I'm paying back. Like it's yeah. easy for you to say it, right? So I went back to what I knew, which was part of that, which was real estate and all that type of stuff. And I kind of did that. I actually had like a brief stint in the city of Compton. Like I worked there for a couple years and it just was kind of like a series of 
great careers that paid well, that fed my my needs to travel, shop, and all that stuff. But it was they were never fulfilling to who I was. Right. Yeah. I remember one day I was like working for this company who was just like they just I was over worked and undervalued and underappreciated and it was just like these long days and I remember saying I'm going and I had put in the books that I was and I was working 100% commission because I just love that that banter with sales right so I remember saying I'm going to to the second inauguration and they just were like no you're not and I was just like um yes, yes I, I am, am. <laughs> and so they said uh, and I was like, okay. And so I just went into my office and I remember un- like taking a picture of my niece off the wall and I remember taking my phone charger because that was what was important to me. And I remember walking out that door and saying, I'm never coming back. And I didn't. And I call this like a trip, a move. I moved to Chicago. I have no family there. I had no, I made friends there. I, I didn't have any friends, but I used to go party there. I used to meet a girl in Chicago, one of my kindred spirits down there and we would just party. And I was just like, okay, this is amazing. I got into like it was a it was a move that was like checked out of my normal society but it checked into who I was mm-hmm. and so I um, started working with um, I worked in education and I worked with young girls inner city girls and I mentored them and I always say that they gave me I gave them a lot but they gave me more than I could have ever expected or asked for nothing feeds your soul like giving back to girls that look like you and with that I just started feeding what's good to me. So to like kind of bring it back, the total full circle is, is that I was in my office early and it was a Uber contest. And it was like, give us your ideas and we'll, if they like it, we'll contact you, right? So I call this a throwaway throwaway idea. And I gave him my idea and it wasn't even about coffee. It was something totally that I was not passionate about, but I knew it was a great idea. I'm good with those. And sure enough, they contacted me like, someone's interested. They want to come, they want to come pick you up. You ride in the Uber with them, you pitch them your idea. And so that night I went home and I talked to this guy I was seeing and I was like, I don't even want to do this. I hope they just buy my idea and I could take the money and do what I really want to do. And he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to open up a coffee shop. And then he was like, what, what kind of coffee shop? Like, I mean, they're everywhere. And I was just like, a hip-hop coffee shop. And yes. it was literally like 3 in the morning. We were like laying there on our back. And it was like verbal diarrhea. It just started like spewing out like, and I want to name this. And I want this drink. And I want this, this. And I, and I created like a whole atmosphere. And he was like, Ashley, get up and write it down. I was like, no, it's here. I got it. I got yeah. it. And he was like, the next day, he was like, write it down. And, and I did. And once you write it down, it makes it real. That was that. And I just... Kind of kept going from there. Moved oh back gosh. home and put it in motion. So a few notes on that. Chicago. I love Chicago. Chicago is forever my, it means forever something to me. Did you know Chicago has the most female entrepreneurs per capita of any other city in the United States? Well, I know it now. I did not know that before. That's Chicago awesome. is booming when it comes to really? being the place for female entrepreneurs. In fact, the cities that we're going to this year are Los Angeles, San Francisco, Brooklyn, Chicago, Miami, Manhattan, you go. and Philly. And I will say this, the reason we chose all those cities is because they are booming places for female entrepreneurs, except for Philly. Philly is the least likely to be a place where women will become entrepreneurs, but we picked it because we, one, wanted to break those barriers, and two, Amber Rose is from Philly, and the Amber Rose Foundation is a national partner for us. We do uh, a lot of collaborative things together, and we said, Amber, we got to go to your hometown. That's what's up. We got to go. We got to go help other women. So we are very excited for that, and I feel like Chicago has come up a lot lately. 
lately. Sure. And maybe it's just my awareness because we're going there, but I feel like I can't turn the corner without hearing somebody say, I went to Chicago, I lived in Chicago, I'm from Chicago, and I'm like, yes, Chai is showing up. <laughs> it's the dopest, yeah. And I will drop my Kanye lyrics while I'm there, y'all. <laughs> Please do. You know. You know. <laughs> Get but, ready for every picture to have like a Kanye lyric quote. But like early Kanye. Yes, like right when he had polo shirts. Yes, that's the that's the only Kanye I recognize. Like this new Kanye. Oh, yeah. Never mind. I, I will say this: I still love him, even yeah. though like his stuff's gone off the off the edge just a little bit. I still feel like he's genius. He's an egomaniac. And yes. He's a performing artist, but yes. he's like genius the way Lady Gaga is a genius. Like it's all. I think one day they're all just gonna be like, I was kidding the whole time. Right, right, like right. got you, got you, yeah. And you still paid me for this. <laughs> I'm be like, yes, I did. Yes. I mean, I do. I mean, I can't knock it. I mean, the life of Pablo, there's some, there's obviously some content on there that I, I, I mess with. Yeah. But I just like, I, I don't know. I have appreciation for anybody or any type of music that's in that struggle, that hustle period. So when he was early Kanye, he was still hustling for like respect and he knew he was yeah. that shit, but he, he was, was trying to get, I'll yeah. tell you what, his lyrics, college dropout, there was not a single bad word on that album. Really? I haven't even noticed that. Yeah. And I remember an interview about this and it was something to the effect of like his mom listens to his music and his first album was very big on not having inappropriate language. And it was very much like, I can do this and I can do it with clean lyrics lyrics. because I've got something to say. And I remember that, that. I'll tell you what, not since Regulators or The Chronic <laughs> have I known every single word of every song it's until so College one. Dropout. Yeah, that's funny. Oh. I, I'm That's so random and, I mean, it's not random. I but to see that evolution. That. Sure. Sorry, sorry, Jesus. We still love you, though. I, we do. I, I'm not knocking at Kanye. I mean, yeah. yeah, Kanye is the guy, but. He truly is. Oh, but when it comes to, like. West Coast hip hop. I, I remember doing a current events about when Tupac and Biggie died. Mm-hmm. Like I, that was literally my current event article in the fifth grade. Yeah, was yeah, like uh-huh. Tupac was killed. Do you remember? I remember that. Yeah. I remember very vividly both times. Theo was on the radio. I remember I was making up my bed. I it was Friday the thirteenth. I remember I wanted to go outside. It was after school, and Theo came on the radio crying. I remember yeah. watching MTV when they had MTV News, and I remember when Biggie moms. died. I just remember those specific like. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The song was uh, P Diddy back when he was still Puff Daddy and Faith Evans. Uh huh. Um, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, that was yeah. a big one. I mm-hmm. remember. I remember when their moms came out together. Yes, I remember like, that too. Aww. All of those things sure. are so iconic for us. Sure. And like you know, I talked to my boyfriend about that now, and you know, he grew up during those things, but those things weren't like he grew up in Florida, so for him, sure. It's not the same. Like, it, like even as I was saying earlier, like we were talking about, you know, straight out of Compton, and he's like, "Oh, I bet that was a real big deal for you guys here." I'm like, "You don't you even don't know. Right? You don't <laughs> even know." Like, and there's something about that when you look at movies like that. And I was so, and I'm curious for you, what your take on, you know, straight out of Compton was, sure. you know, being in the neighborhood with, with that release because I really feel like that was such an iconic moment. Yes, and to elevate. You know, the things, I don't want to say glorifying 
the experience. Sure. But like coming back into the community, putting in the music academy for kids. Right. Things where you see local people that have come back and done things in the neighborhood. Venus and Serena Williams with the new park yes. that they did with Mayor yes, Brown. Yes. Like things like that where I sit there and I was like, oh, I love this. People coming back home to do right by the neighborhoods that made them. That made them who they are. I mean, it's a double edge, right? So I remember, and it doesn't make me sad, if anything, but, and I don't think it's glorifying. I just think it's bringing awareness to our experiences. I remember when they started with that whole Batarang stuff. I remember when they were, you know, it was really popping. I do remember that. And I remember that crack epidemic, like real, like I remember neighbors falling off one by one. And so all that is is real. And to when I see like movies about that, or I still like whenever they do like the documentaries about the LA riots, like it's I watch it like I've never seen it before. Cause it's to me it's just it's interesting. I remember when people were like the McDonald's. I remember they closed down a McDonald's. They, they had burned it down or whatnot. And I remember um, people were in there making, and they were like, you go to McDonald's, we're making triple burgers. Like, it was just like a neighborhood kid that was in there flipping burgers. Like, because it was just, I mean, looking back on that stuff now, like, that's funny, you know? But yeah. back then, it was like, it was real. It was like feast or famine. It was a real, this is what we're doing. They felt like entitled. And the time was just effed up. And even what's more sad to me is like, when I look at what's going on now, yeah. It's almost like the same, it's like the same stuff. We we think that we've gotten further off, but we're not. We're really not that far removed from the same stuff that happened 25 years ago. And that's very true. And I think ever since the election, I and mean, I've said this here on the podcast before, it's never been more cool to be a racist. Like, Girl. I had no idea that we were so surrounded by people that we know and grew up with who are like, oh, well, now I can just be right. racist. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that wall you're talking about, that's me. Right. Do you not realize that? Like, the disparaging comments where you sit here and you go, like you said, we're not that far off from that. Things really haven't changed. If anything, it's been swept under the rug. And right. I think the only positive thing that we see about this currently is the fact that movements like Black Lives Matter, yes. the protests that we're seeing, the yes. rallies that the we're resist. seeing, the awareness, yes. and the fact that social media has helped us truly to amplify the messages on our terms right. and not somebody else's. Right. The whole election thing. So by trade, I mean, right now, my, my business is in the very infant stages of it. So there is a, by trade, a job I do to pay the bills is I'm an insurance agent, which... It's totally opposite of who I am. But I had a contract in San Francisco. So I, I was there and they, when we're on these like month, two months, three month contracts, they put you in a hotel room. And, you know, the hotel that I was in, they gave us, um, they give you like free breakfast every morning. It was a really nice hotel, but it's normally quiet down there in the morning. Right. The day after the election, I remember going to bed early, like tears in my eyes. I remember waking up. I mean, and this that's how powerful it was to me because I know what it meant to me. I know what it means to other brown people, you know. Yeah. It's it's scary times. I remember taking my dog out and there was another like brown guy. I don't think he, I think he might have been like Indian or something and he kind of had like the sad look in his face and I remember like like a white lady coming up and she's like, "Oh my god, your dog is so cute." And I'm like, "Oh, thank you." But I mean, she I'm like, "Girl, do you know what just happened right now?" And then I remember yes. going back into the lobby and it was like it was popping. It was like low key a party in there. Like they were it was it was a totally like, and I'm hurt. Yes. I'm hurt. I remember not even going in until later on that afternoon. Like I was hurt because I know that there's a, oh God, 
I'm deathly afraid of for my brothers and my yes. fathers and my cousins. I don't want to see dreamers being deported. I think yep. that that is just unfreaking real, and I'm very pissed off and passionate about it. And like thinking about it now, just kind of takes me back right there for a second. But man, next. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. It really forces us into, you know, changing that. And one of the things that I love, so Mayor Garcetti, for example, sure. he was tapped as a potential VP for Hillary. And I heard that interview on K-Rock, mm-hmm. which I love that Mayor Garcetti still goes on K-Rock. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having done that with Kevin and Bean now multiple times. I think that is just like so real. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to Mayor Brown in just a moment and because there is something very real about these types of mayors that I think we need to address. But Mayor Garcetti was saying, you know, regardless of what happens with the election, he said, I have a job to do and it's still here in LA where I'm able to make a larger yes. direct impact on a more frequent and reoccurring basis for the people who need this. Right. He said, do I have a service to at one point serve a larger office? He said, if I'm called upon that, but there's work that needs to be done locally That's and right. I cannot move on until this has been dealt with yes. because this is what I care about. This is where I'm from. And I loved that about him. And so Compton, Mayor Brown, Mm -hmm. youngest mayor in Compton, I believe, really came in after the change of scenes. There was a lot of corruption in Compton for a long time. I love that she's an urban planner. I always said if I was going to have a different career in a different lifetime, I would have been an urban planner. Uh And I fangirl over her very hard. (laughs) And I like that she's very real. Like like Mayor Garcetti, she runs her own Instagram account. It's not somebody else. It's her. And I feel like... You know, it's got to be hard for people in cities like L.A., like Compton, that have such deep roots in political experiences, cultural ties, longstanding histories that they're navigating through to be able to make change and make a difference. Sure. Totally agree with that, especially because Compton is a city that its reputation precedes, you know, what it really is. Yeah. Sometimes people don't even understand, like, Compton, like, especially when I was living in Chicago, like... You know, and obviously everyone knows the story of Chicago and their violence, right? right? And they're like, oh, you should be used to this. You're from Compton. I'm like, please. Compton, Compton like, has yeah. some phenomenal areas. We have black cowboys in Compton. Uh, we have black cowboys. Like, I had some friends from No, Chicago. literally horses. No, I know. They ride up Wilmington. I yes. see them, like, on the street. Yeah, Audience members. My parents live in North Long Beach, where North Long Beach meets Compton. And literally, at the end of their street, it's all horse property. And there are still stables. Compton Farms, yeah. Yes, we actually have horses. And nowhere else do we have that no nowhere else no other like i just would love to see the a major city where you can literally like our legit drive up wilmington and there are horses walking up on the sidewalk like not in a horse lane like on the sidewalk uh the jack in the box on the corner of artesian atlantic <laughs> you will always see the cowboys going through yeah. the drive through on their horses and there is a liquor store yes. off of hoonsaker where hoonsaker turns and it hits i want to say like 68th or 70th no 72nd way because it's 72nd street and then 72nd way uh-huh. and there is a liquor store that has a window that is a horse ride up yes. window and you'll see the guys <laughs> with a six pack that's right that's real close to my parents house and i like that blows my mind mm-hmm. that we have that and people are like oh you're in the ghetto i'm like we have horses you know how much it costs right. to raise and like Hello? house a horse yeah i mean compton has so many original homeowners there's so much actual like wealth there there was a time where um when my grandparents started buying property in compton compton was comptonville and it was yep. predominantly white right i mean no one i don't know many people don't know george bush lived in compton at one point so 
now I've seen it change. I've seen it shift. I remember when Compton was predominantly black and now pro- Compton is Latino. predominantly Latino. Yep. There's, I think it's 65 or 70% Spanish speaking. Yep. So when people think that we're just like the bang, bang, shoot them up, like that's not it. You're talking, you're talking about what was glorified in movies in like in the eighties, like when colors yep. and stuff was out. Right. It's not the same thing. So back to what you were saying, when you have someone like Mira Brown who has to come back, you know, A, the image of Compton that's put out and then try to do good work, try to maintain small businesses, but also provide growth with new businesses. You know what I'm saying? All without gentrifying the neighborhood and not pushing the people that have been there out. It's a it's a task that I wouldn't welcome, but yeah. anybody else who who does it, I mean, kudos to you guys. It's, oh, she's like my age. She's like young and spirited, and I'm right. like, oh. And she's from Compton, she, right? No, she's actually from Pasadena, I believe. Okay, but she's her husband Compton from now. Compton. I feel like one of them was from Compton. Uh, I could be don't wrong. Don't get me to lying. I don't know. I'm, I'm not Either sure. Way. Right. Either way, still serving. Coming in and serving a neighborhood, I feel like that's an, that's only a thing you can do when you're young and still idealistic right. and before you've been jaded. Sure. And I honestly think that's what cities like that need is you need somebody who hasn't been a career politician. Sure. Because for a long time, Compton was really run by career politicians. And totally. that's how corruption happens. And you see families that are, everyone in the family is in office, uh-huh. right? And that, again, becomes a challenge because you're like, oh, it's the same guard over and over. And if you want things to change, quite frankly sometimes you do need, you need to, to switch it up right yeah you need to change with that and i mean and it, a lot of that still goes on but right. i mean it's 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 a it's a moving part right so it's change doesn't happen overnight i mean it didn't get to where it is overnight and we right. just we try to support you know whoever's in office and make sure that they do what they set out and promise to do and we'll see well i have to say when i take the train in and out on the blue line and we go through the compton station it is the best station on the blue line between Long Beach and downtown. And I only wish Artesia, Mayor Brown, will ask you about this when you get on here. I really wish the Artesia station could have a come up in life because I take that station when I go see my parents. (laughs) And the Artesia station is the most like, it's second to bad next to the 103rd station. Oh, yeah. And we all know, so for those of you who don't know, or if you're LA local, the worst station in all of the Los Angeles metro system is 103rd. They call it the Rosa Park station still? Yes. We just call it 103rd. I I think it's still called the Rosa Park station. Mm -hmm. So it's where the blue line and the green line meet. And actual fact, there have been more murders (laughs) and deaths at that station than anything else in Los history of Los Angeles Metro. And it shares a parking lot with the sheriff's office. How bogus is that? That's where, like, like that is a scary place. Right. I've been stranded there when the train breaks down and you're Shut like. Shut the front door. You're like, oh, my God. And Ubers won't pick you up. That, There's no I Uber. Knew. No, no, no. That is so true. Someone just told me that, that they tried to get an Uber out of Watts and they were just like, can't nah. get a, Can't get a, no. You that's can't. Bogus. You really can't get an Uber anywhere near Watts. Like, that it's impossible. So, oh, that's, oh. I had to wait over 20 minutes for that train. No, you didn't. It was like late at night. It was dark. God forbid there was a sheriff. And I went to the sheriff's station. So uh-huh. I walked in and they were like, can we help you? Because I looked very out of place. And I go, oh, yeah. I was all on my heels. I'm like, hi, can I just wait here? The train broke down and I don't feel safe standing outside. There's no officers. I'm concerned. Like, can I just sure. wait right here until a train comes? And they were like, no, you have to wait on the platform. I'm like, can you send an officer out? Because it's right. real scary out here. And they just looked at me like, absolutely not. What? Hey, protect um, and serve. Aren't you supposed to be out there? What? And and I will say, when I got back to my platform and I waited, the dude that sells like the Kit Kat bars uh-huh, and the incense uh-huh. and the 99 yeah. 
sent like hot Cheetos. Yes. He was there and he sat with me and he gave me That's a Twix right. bar. He Chivalry's was like, he's not dead. He, no, he was real hood. Like he scared me at first, but then he was like, he was like, hey, Ma, you could have a Twix bar. And I was like, he's like, you ain't got to give me the dollar either. And I was like, that's so nice. You want to share Aww, it? That was his way of flirting. He was, <laughs> sat there and I was, I felt a little better. But sure. still, like, that's sad when Ubers won't pick you that up. Is. And that's unfortunate, but that's. That's what it is. Oh, it truly is. Okay. So do you identify yourself as a brown girl? And if so, is that something that you've held with pride or with shame? And how has that changed as you've gotten older? I do identify myself as a brown girl. I mean, I'm all into that magic stuff. I feel it. The black girl magic, brown girl magic. I mean, let me tell you, have you ever seen like a little girl? And I'm sure you've seen it in your culture. I've seen it in mine. She could be five and she's dancing and she just has that natural like that. Umph, you know what I'm saying? Yes. And that magic right there, that's you can look at other non brown girls looking at her. And it's just like half amazement, half jealousy. Yes. It's just they don't know what they're kind of confused because that inherent rhythm is who forms who we are just as a people like we yes. just have. Brown girls just have like this natural, I hate that stupid word, swag. We just have this natural steeze about us that just, it could be imitated, but it's not duplicated because it's inherently who you are. Yes. And so that, I love that and I embrace that. And I'm that's everything that I aspire to be. And it's everything that I try to convey to younger girls, like just to embrace that in who you are. Yeah. I'm not saying like, I don't care. I'm not saying like, there's some people like, oh, if you're really down with the cause, you don't wear a weave, please. I will put I love a, me a good weave. Girl, uh, bundles. I will put in, <laughs> I will put in <laughs> uh, some of the best bundles from wherever. And I love that. And that doesn't take away who I am as or my, my wokeness, my, my, who I am as a black woman. And so, yes, there are certain things in brown girls. Um, I mean, well, obviously. I encompass everything that there is about being a brown girl with that whole feminist card. I mean, that's yep. a whole nother subject. I wish all women can be in alignment with what true feminism is. Yes. Um, I definitely think that there is a difference amongst um, all feminists. I mean, oh, yeah. Some folks is fighting for equal pay. We're fighting for equal opportunity. We want to get in the door, at least yeah. have the opportunity to get in the job before we fight on the other stuff and I just think that you know if I came in a room you're like oh you see that I'm a black woman first so yeah being a brown girl I identify with it I embrace it I love it I promote it it's it's I wear it like a badge of honor so definitely I love that and you know I to your point we had a guest recently that we were talking about the women's march uh -huh. and we have partnered nationally with the women's march for every city that we go to sure. so that we can reach a broader audience and partly because in my opinion, people march, but now what? Right. Right? Like, right. okay, you march, right. but what are we doing now? Right. And Worthy Women is a now what solution sure. to that with free resources for female entrepreneurs and career advancement. And our audience is very much 70% self-identified women of color, specifically Latina and right. African-American. And so uh, one of our recent guests made this great observation and she pointed out, she was like, yeah, the Women's March was big, but it got big because it started with 
white women. Right. Right. And we're talking about losing our health care and Obamacare. And she's Girl. like, right. Um, she was like, it's too bad that it had to take something on that level to bring attention sure. to the plight of women today. Right. But it, it is still not equal amongst us because it doesn't take enough consideration in to, you know, things like other social constructs that we face. Like race. Yes. Right? And just basic equality as you and I are discussing here. But I really do have to come back to the weave thing because let me just (laughs) say, I went through some phases with some weaves. I just cut (laughs) off my hair recently. It's very short. And I I tell you, it is cute. But I'm like, oh, man, this would be the time to get some new tracks in. And I remember the very first time. Okay. Here's some here's some specialness. <laughs> the first time I got a weave, I had gone through a phase where I had over bleached my hair. I was a platinum white blonde. Shut the front door. Oh, it did not look pretty. You. Oh, I'm gonna show you pictures after Please. this for your LOL mm-hmm. pleasure. And my hair got so fried, it turned into like limp spaghetti, and I went to blow dry it and just like flew off. Oh. And hell so no. I had cut my hair real short like a boy uh-huh. just because it was so fried. And somebody suggested, why don't you get a weave? Because then your natural hair can grow out. <laughs> so I went to this place uh-huh. on the corner of Artesia and Downey. Uh huh. It was special. And I walked in. And I was like, yeah, I was told to come here, blah, blah, blah. The girl that I went to, she looked at me. She was like, oh, honey, you in the wrong store. She's like, the nail shop is next door. I was like, no, 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 I'm here for <laughs> I'm here for extensions. She looked at me and she goes, all right, well, let me see the hair you bought. And so I had gone to the beauty uh-huh. supply store and bought hair. And she looked at it and she goes, no, no, no. Let me tell you where you're going to go. You're going to go to Madam J's. Yes. You're going to tell her that you need this many ounces in 22 yes. inches. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need it in this color because if you're trying to stay blonde, yes. this is what I could do for you. And she looked at my hair and she goes, all right, go do that and come back. So I did. So I called over and they're like, we don't have that color in stock. That's like a very white, white blonde, like platinum blonde. She was like, come back on a different day. So I get there and it was like buying drugs. Like you walked in (laughs) and you had to get buzzed in. And I was like, I need this many inches and this many ounces. Yes. Got the work, man. (laughs) And I was like, why do you have to be buzzed in? And she was like, we get robbed Robbed, all the time. And I was like. Oh my gosh. And it was expensive. Yeah. I spent like $300 in hair. And then I still had to get it put in. Uh And I go back to the salon with my hair. And the the ladies were very nice to me, but they were judging me because I was the only like non African American woman in the space. And she was like, Well, how many tracks do you need? And I'm like, Or how many do you want? And I was like, I don't know what that is. And she's like, We're going to help you. (laughs) And so, and because my hair was so short, I had to wear. She couldn't do the tracks because it wasn't long enough. So there was was just, it was real short. It was like Brigitte Nielsen, a a la like Flavor Flav era. It was real short and real blonde. Uh And so she did this like teeny tiny braid around my head and then she sewed this net to it. And she was like, I'm going to sew this to the net. Oh my God, you had the full experience. Oh yeah, I did. (laughs) And I used to tap it because it would itch. Yes, Petra Weed. Oh my gosh. And I had this boyfriend at the time. He was amazing. He had these really long fingers and Uh these big hands. My head would itch and he would tap it for me. And that's how I knew he loved me because he would like tap it and he didn't judge me and I would go in and get it like tightened yep and I remember it was $25 a track yes and I was like oh my gosh this is the best thing and then my white girlfriends would go get these other like iron in like little ball like extensions I'm like oh sad sad like you don't need that yeah Yeah. I was like oh no no (laughs) you guys are missing out yeah this is like Botox it pulls your face all the way right it's it's uncomfortable for like the first day or two oh no more than that it was like a few (laughs) days of Tylenol but my face was pulled back real yes. tight. My hair was luscious. Yes. It was amazing. And you could still wash it. That's right. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, you have a real weave experience. I, and then when I got into the clip-ins. Yes. Let me tell you about this. <laughs> I 
True story, ladies. You know the pants hangers that have the long bars with the clips in your closet? I literally yes. would wash my clip-ins and then I would hang, hang them down. and I would hang them in the closet like between clothes so that they wouldn't like get the funny spiral if they were sitting in a drawer. Yes. And I distinctly remember having a boyfriend come over and I was like, oh, can you get that sweater for me? It's in the closet. It's here, here. And he opened it and he's like, is that hair? And I was like, oh, just that's my weave. Don't look at it. Like, yeah, that's how you dry your weave. You hang it up on pants hanger. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I remember telling one of my friends this and she's and she's black she was dying she was like audrey i've been doing that she was like <laughs> i'm dying with you right now and i was like but that's where do you store your weave because that's where i put yes. mine oh man now i really want one it's been a while i know guys. i kind of do too i'm kind of over these braids they're a result of like a short haircut that just wasn't getting it and that's so how i, I like, feel about this my hair <laughs> So I get it, but yeah. And you can only, only get a real good weave in the hood, hood. and you can only get real good acrylic. I just took off my acrylic because I broke a bunch of nails um, right before I moved or during the move, and uh, I broke one so bad that I couldn't put acrylic on it. I had to wait for the nail to grow out, and I am known for my acrylic. Like I've literally had acrylic since I was 14, and you can only ever get good acrylic in North Long Beach, in Paramount, in Compton, because one, it's affordable because they do it all the time. Oh my gosh, so affordable there. It looks so good because if you try to come up to LA and they're sitting here trying to sell you some gels or a manicure and it's ridiculously expensive and you're just sitting there like, you don't know how to do acrylic because you haven't done it. You have not done it. And they can't do, like, same thing. Like I've gone to like shops outside of the hood and no, it al- I always come back to Rosecrans and Wilmington, mm. Freshest Nails right there on the corner. There's another spot I go to in Long Beach, Ficky's Nails. Like I I I stick to the hood. I try to support like my community yes. outside of black community, but just my hood as much as possible. So oh, I I'm get telling it. you, it's you got to get things done where other people are getting them done because that is where the quality comes from, right. people. It is a it is a skill set and good acrylic. I'm so grateful that acrylic's making a comeback because for a while it was all this manicure phase. Right. And I'm like sitting here with my claws going, oh, Keep thank your you, claws. Jesus. I miss claws. I had, I probably have taken them off probably, and you can still see like the ridges from the, the acrylic. I probably did it probably mm, a month ago, only because now that I'm boxing orders, like when I'm shipping oh, yeah, my mugs, nails. they are popping off like popcorn like pop, pop, pop. and I'm just like okay this is stupid yeah so that's the only reason why I kind of went back to this but I feel like I'm kind of losing some of my sauce because I don't have my acrylic that's exactly that's exactly it I talk with my hands yes. so much that normally it's my right. exaggerated like let me tell you you got to do this and all yes. this with your hands yeah it I get it makes a big difference oh my gosh I get it I get it well it has been such a pleasure to have you here on the Aww, show thank you so um, much where can people find you online my business page is beans and bars coffee that's on instagram i'm working on twitter you guys i'm not like i have like a lot of blurps i talk like a lot of shit throughout the day but it's like a second thought for me to like oh let me put that shit on (laughs) (laughs) so i'm working on that so um beans and bars coffee is my ig my website is www.beansandbars.com you can also find me personally i'm because i I'm woke, okay? And I'm funny. And my personal page is considerate snob on that's oh. on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I don't post as much as I used to, but when I do, I think I'm pretty like 
you know, I put out some good material, I think. I think we need to have you do a takeover of the Brown Girls Rising Instagram account <laughs> because we are extra woke. We are extra in your face. Yes. And I feel like that's a thing that needs to happen. Yes. You know, actually, I think I, well, I followed. I followed probably like a week ago. So, and you guys have some good content on there as well. But yeah, so, um, so don't forget, Beans and Bars Coffee is the IG, Twitter, Facebook, beans, www.beansandbars.com is my website and considerate snob is where you can find me personally. I love it. And I'm at Audrey Bellis and this has been Brown Girls Rising. We hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at WorthyWomenLLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.